Welcome to God's Word Community Church Sermon Broadcast. The books of Thessalonians, written by the Apostle Paul, are so special because they show us what a truly good church looks like. We hope you enjoy the kind of meaty, spiritual food from God's Word that we offer here at GWCC. So I want you to notice from chapter 2 the kind of love that they spoke to one another. Can we learn to love like that? Can we learn to speak love like that? And then we saw Christian leadership. And I confessed to you that in all of my years of church work, I had never thought of 1 Thessalonians 2 as a description of Christian leadership. But it really is. In fact, it's a passage that I wish I could take back and put in front of every single leadership team I've ever worked with and say, do you see this example? This is what church leadership is supposed to be. Like a father and like a mother, knowing the sheep, caring for them, acting on their behalf. It's a powerful expression of Christian love. Now we will see one of the most important aspects of their church in chapter 3. And you're going to know how I'm going to finish this sentence before I even finish it. Love is not just something we say we believe. And it is not even just something we get our lips to say more often and more earnestly. What's the next words I want to say? Love is something we do. Yes, love has to come out as we do it. But before we do that, let's recite the 66 books of the Bible. And we're still going to do it the easy way, right? I'm going to say a group of books, and then you're going to repeat, repete avec moi, right? You're going to repeat after me, okay? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Joshua, Judges, Ruth. Joshua, Judges, Ruth. First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, First and Second Samuel, First Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. I wanted to do this next group so bad, I almost left that one out. Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. Ready? Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah. Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Why is that so much fun? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus. 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James, Philemon, Hebrews, James, 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st and 2nd, 3rd John, 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st and 2nd, 3rd John, Jude and Revelation, Jude and Revelation, give yourselves a hand. 
There we go. We're going to get you to the place where you don't even need that table of contents. Now, turn with me then to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. And I want to start this passage. You know, one of the things that helps the word come alive the most for me is to really slow down and try to make a very strong contrast between what I see in normal worldly living and what the world is describing. I think one of our problems with the Bible is that it is always so simple to just kind of read over the top and we don't stop to think how much difference it would make if we really saw life this way. What is the opposite of out of sight, out of mind? What is the opposite of out of sight, out of mind? Have we ever seen it? One of the things that Marianne has spoken with me a lot about this year is about how people will say, we'll get together, we'll be in touch, don't forget we love you. And those statements will be made, but then there's no communication, cricket, cricket. They're polite words only. What is the opposite of that? Look in chapter 3, verse 1. And I want you to hear an apostle. This isn't just any man who's saying this. This is a man whose life was transformed by the Holy Spirit, who started many of the churches around the Mediterranean and wrote half of the New Testament. I want you to hear how he speaks his heart. Therefore, what's the old quote? Whenever you see a therefore, you have to ask what it's there for. Therefore, he just came from a passage that said, what is my glory? What is my hope? What is my joy? What is my crown? Is it not you? He tells his brothers and sisters in Thessalonica that they are his crown. They fill him with joy. So now that he has talked about how important they are to him, <coughs> my ethnic preaching has challenged my vocal cords. <coughs> Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, when we could stand it no longer, the Greek word for stand or bear here is an interesting word to me because it's a word they would use when they made a roof out of thatch and they were covering it over. It's an idea of covering or concealing or something like that. What Paul is expressing here is, I'm trying to go to work. I'm trying to do my thing as if nothing's bothering me. I'm trying to just act as if everything is copacetic, but this thing keeps working on me. Have you ever experienced that? You've got something that's tearing you up, but you're trying to just fly like you're doing better than you are. That's what's happening to Paul here. <clears throat> when we could bear it no longer, when I couldn't cover it up anymore, we were willing to be left behind in Athens alone. They're trying to do evangelistic work. They're trying to do ministry. Paul is counting on every single member of his small team. But this business about the Thessalonians is tearing him up. What is the business? Katie, thank you so much. What is the thing that's got Paul so worried? Why is he upset? 
whatever it is, a hundred, hundreds of miles away, his head, his heart, his spirit is with the Thessalonians. Something has gone up on up there that has got him distracted. He makes the decision to send Timothy, our brother, and look at this, look at this label. Wouldn't this be a wonderful thing to have on your headstone? And God's co-worker. Isn't that cool? God starts a business, you know, God and Son, Inc. <laughs> and he's going to pull you alongside as a partner. And you become his co-worker in the divine business. He is God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ. Now, we had a young man visit us for the first time on Wednesday night, and we ended up in our Wednesday night study with a very interesting conversation, I thought, where he and I were kind of talking back and forth about what is the gospel, and what is the word, and how much do they relate to our future connection with God. And one of the things that he expressed is the gospel is the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. One of the things that's interesting to me here is that Paul calls Timothy God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ. What did Timothy do? He shared the resurrection, the sacrifice, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But then he trained the people in how to walk with God. He trained the people how to disciple. He trained them into ministry. And all of that became part of the gospel that Timothy did. It's no wonder that Timothy was called a gospelist or an evangelist. Evangel and gospel are the same word. They mean good news. So when I could stand it no longer, I take my number one protege, the young man that I'm pouring myself into because I know I'm not going to be here forever, we are here trying to get something started in Athens, a very difficult place to start a church, but I'm so distracted about Thessalonica, I'm going to take my right-hand man and send him all the way back to Thessalonica because I've got to find out what's going on with you. There's no Skype, right? There's no, there's no cell. There's no video reception. He's got no way to do it, and he's not going to just send him a, a, a quick, he's not going to text him. He wants to find out in detail how they're doing. He refuses to take a superficial answer. So he actually sends Timothy away. When he needs Timothy, he sends Timothy away. I want you to see what love does. I want you to pay attention to how disturbed he is, how distracted he is, what effort he will go through to make sure that his brothers and sisters are okay. What is he worried about? To establish, that is to build a foundation, to thicken the floor that you're standing on and exhort you, that means to stand beside you or to comfort you in your faith. Why is he worried about the Thessalonian faith? He has already said that their faith is exceptional. And then in verse 3, we start to get a hint of what's going on. That no one would be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass. 
and just as you know. Now I'm starting to see Thessalonians a little better. Paul found out that his healthy, whole, good, but baby church was coming hard under persecution. They got persecuted very, very fast. They got persecuted very early. In fact, if you go back and read Acts chapter 17, you will find out that the Christians rushed Paul out of Thessalonica because they were afraid something bad would happen to him. So he had left in a hurry. <laughs> and then they followed him to Berea when he started the church at Berea, and he had had to run on from there. Some of those persecutors continued to stir up trouble against that baby church. And let me tell you something. If there was ever a sales pitch for discipleship, it is this. Consider how young this church was. How little time they had to learn what they needed to know. And yet they came under persecution almost right away. What do we see happening in the United States? Cults are on the rise. People are falling out of, of churches based on the simple gospel of Jesus Christ. Cults are up. Islam is up. People are leaving Jesus to go chase this bloody founder of Islam who never did a miracle in front of anyone and whose bones lay to this day under a mosque in Medina. Now, I'm not going to talk that bluntly if I'm speaking with a Muslim. But the fact of the matter is, he's no Jesus Christ. And yet Christians in the United States are leaving their Christianity behind to take on the legalistic work of Islam. You see just the opposite here. What's the difference? Well, they were discipling here. They were loving here. They were calling people to a serious, deep, dedicated, true faith. It wasn't a show. It wasn't just what was popular. It was the deep commitment. And they were surviving it. And I want you to see how worried Paul was in verse 5. He says, For this reason, when I could bear it no longer. Hear that intensity? The days are building. He knows the persecution is on him. He has seen people fall before because of persecution. He has seen some of his own people come to Jesus Christ and then get knocked back away because of legalistic Christianity. And he can almost play out the scenario in his head, oh, I don't want to see that happen in Thessalonica. When I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith. I had to find out that you were okay. Here's a concept for you. What kind of church would it be if people actually performed interventions to make sure your faith was okay, to make sure your faith was strong. Again, if we think about it, it is so different from the world that we live in and the kinds of churches that we've been to. In Ephesians chapter 1, 
Paul says to the Ephesians, I have prayed for you so that your faith would not fail. What would an American Christian say? What would you do that for? What's wrong with my faith? That's kind of presumptive, isn't it? Like I'm going to leave my faith. When what we should be saying is, God, oh, thank you so much. I was kind of afraid my faith would fail myself. Or like that passage we quoted Wednesday night, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But instead, every day, encourage one another, as long as it is called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The challenge with that text always is, Kurt, how are you going to know when I'm developing a sinful, unbelieving heart that's starting to turn away from the living God? The problem is, I can fake it. I can fake it enough to get through Sunday. I can fake it enough to get through Wednesday night. I can fake it enough to get past other church staff members. Jimmy Swagger did it for 20 years. Church on television, hookers in the evening. And because, because he had no confessional relationships, when his dual lifestyle suddenly emerged in all its awful glory into public, everybody is shocked. Why? Because he's got nobody that he's confessing to. There's nobody there that really knows what's going on with him. There are commands in the Bible that we can't even follow if we aren't talking to each other honestly. I had to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. All the work. Paul uses a word here, kopos, K-O-P-O-S, kopos, which is a word for strenuous toil. He didn't get to stay in Thessalonica long, maybe a matter of months. But while he was there, he worked intensely to make sure that those people grew what they needed in the faith that he was going to leave them with. He wanted to make sure that they were dug in deep in Jesus Christ. And now he's panicking that Satan could have slipped in and taken all of those baby children away. Men and women that only a year or two years before didn't know Jesus at all. This is what church is supposed to be. Where we stand like guardians next to each other for each other's faith. Where we have confessional enough relationships where we can actually touch base with each other and say, how are you doing with fill in the blank? With rage or lust or greed or porn or whatever it is that you tend to battle with, or whatever three or four things you tend to battle with. And so now, look at verse 6. Suddenly you'll know why this Thessalonian letter exists. And it's, it's interesting to me, because this is not the kind of purpose that would turn Americans on. This is not the kind of thing that would catch our eye. We understand an apostle writing to Galatia because their doctrine was wrong. We understand an apostle writing to Rome because they needed a full and complete theological statement of the meaning of Jesus' work on the cross. We understand that. 
We understand him writing 1 Corinthians when you've got a church that's dissolving into factions and little cliques and groups because of all their hostility toward one another. We get those. Look why Paul wrote 1 Thessalonians. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and he has brought us the good news... Only two times in the whole New Testament does the word gospel appear and it not refer to the work of Jesus Christ. The other time is in Revelation chapter 10. He has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. It's affection. It's care. He's just gotten the message back from Timothy. In 1 Thessalonians 1, he wrote about their faith and about their love, which created actions in their lives that other people could not miss seeing. And so here we are in chapter 3, and Paul says, and Timothy's come back, and he's let me know that that Thessalonian faith is still there. It's still working. It's still growing. It's still strong. He's let me know that your love is still there. And he's let me know that you haven't believed the lies of the detractors who have separated you from us and turned us away and convinced you that the gospel that we gave you was a, a quick sale. But that you long to see us as I long to see you. That's really important for us to see who Paul is. I've seen so many weird characterizations of him. I've seen him described as a woman hater over and over again. He would be shocked. He gave his most important letter, the most famous letter that he ever wrote, to a woman that he called a deacon, not a deaconess. A, he called her a deacon and put her in charge of mentoring this letter to the largest church in the Mediterranean. He would be shocked that we thought he hated women. He's got them leading gospel work all over the place. Timothy has come to us from you, has brought us a good news of your faith and love, reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers... Listen to this explosion of heart. In all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing firm in the Lord. Oh my goodness. Talk about a man who's made a difference between keeping his eyes on heaven and keeping his eyes on the world. The world doesn't care a flying frog leg about this little baby church in Thessalonica. Paul says, now I live. Even though junk has fallen on us every single day and we are put down hard, I am blessed because I know you're okay. Wow. Doesn't that, can't that change our orientation about what church is and what church relationships are supposed to be? What thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy 
that we feel for your sake before our God. This question is almost a rhetorical question. It's almost like he's asking, I don't think there's an answer to this. I don't think I can tell God how thankful I am. I don't, I don't think I can speak it. This man knows how to speak. But this degree of thanksgiving and gratitude, he has a hard time finding words for. And I'm going to make a break right between verse 9 and verse 10. I'm going to break that sentence right in half because I wanted you to see these circumstances. I wanted you to see this love. But beginning in verse 10, now we start reading, what does his love do? And he starts in the back half of that sentence. As we pray, number one, first thing that his love drives him to do, we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face. He longs to be in their presence again. Even the letter's not enough. We long to see you face to face and look at this carefully and supply what is lacking in your faith. Once again, when we hear that with American ears, we have so reduced what faith means. We have so reduced what salvation is that we would be surprised if somebody said, I want to spend some time with you to make up what is lacking in your faith. We would instantly be offended. Or we would try to hold back of our sense of offense to ask an unbelieving question. What do you think is lacking in my faith? Instead of saying, oh, I need that. Oh, I need that. I need your help. Thank you for seeing that I needed your help. It was a young church. There was still a lot more Paul wanted to teach them. I wanted to come and see you and supply what is lacking in in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus. That's a compound subject. I want you to see that God is referred to as Father and Lord Jesus in verse 11. May God, our Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. So the first thing that we see here is that God, Paul is actually going to pray that God will send them back to Thessalonica. He wants to go back. He wants to help grow his church even more. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love. Classic Pauline language here. I want to pray that you superabound and that you exceed. Like we're going to get love on the carpet. We're going to get love everywhere. We're just going to slop it all over the place. And it's funny here because these people are good lovers. These people love each other well. They have a love that's being reported all over the area. And Paul says, but I'm going to pray for you to do so more and more and more. That you will grow in your capacity of love for one another, even beyond where you're at. A lot of the love that you read about in 1 Thessalonians is Philadelphia. Brotherly love, mutual respect, affection that grows from quality of character. Philea, not agape, Philea is probably the most fun of the Greek words for love. Because anytime you have a friendship that really means something to you because that person is such a cool person and you guys have had some really important times together and you can see some things eye to eye and you can talk about anything, that is philea. 
That is a love that I have for you because you are such a neat person. And that's why I say it's probably the most fun of the Greek words for love. Agape is a love that I have because I choose to love whether you pull anything out of me or not. It's the kind of love that puts a foundation under every other kind of love. Every other kind of love in the Greek New Testament is caused. And the caused love of philia is because you're a really good person or you really jive with my spirit. And so you draw my affection. And Paul wants to see the church grow in that love. Philadelphia. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. So that. Now you'd think that that first thing was the end of the sentence. That, that your love would grow. But then you find out that love has a purpose. Look at what it does so that he may establish your hearts as blameless. Wow. You mean if I really, really loved you, then my actions toward you might be more pure. They might be more godlike. I might treat you better. I might say no to some of the sins that occur to me if I'm driven by love for you. Blameless in holiness before our God and Father. There's actually a connection between love and blameless and holiness. Isn't it funny how the world cheapens this? You know, how, how many times have poor girls on dates heard, you would if you loved me? You know, what does love mean then? You know, it's a using thing. I get from you what I want. Maybe I give you some of what you want. And that's how the world handles love, isn't it? In fact, I've heard money called love. Because it's a rate of exchange. How different is it to see love that actually causes us to be blameless and holy in the way we treat one another? That's a, that's a completely different thing, isn't it? It's not like the counterfeit that the world does and calls love, which isn't love at all, is it? Except maybe for myself. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Wow, Paul catches me by surprise there. He's talking about his love for them. He wants to come supply what is missing in his faith. You know what I didn't realize? is that in the back of Paul's mind, he knows Jesus is coming back. The coming of Jesus here is one of the most important words in the New Testament. It's the word parousia, P-A-R-O-U-S-I-A, P-A-R-O-U-S-I-A, parousia, the victory parade, the conqueror's triumph. The emergence of Jesus in the sky with the heavenly army. The coming of Jesus. And Paul's concern for his people is that when Jesus comes back, he wants his people to be able to stand before Jesus Christ. Confident and raising praise. Not fearful of that day wondering how it's going to go. But knowing their colors. Knowing where they stand. My colors will be clear. That's what Paul wants his people to be able to say. 
And that confidence before the return of Jesus Christ gets ironed out in faith and love that leads us to blamelessness and holiness before God. Isn't that amazing? That's what the eyes of a church should be directed on. How do we help each other stand strong when the shocking appearance of Jesus in the sky happens? How do we get each other ready for that? That's what Paul has in mind. And that's what love in a church does. How do we speak to each other? Once again, 1 Thessalonians drives us to ask this question. But now, in chapter 3, 1 Thessalonians also pushes us to say, how does love cause us to act? Some of us have heard the encouragement to think of love as a verb rather than a sentimental noun. In 1 Thessalonians 3, we see that the sentiment of Christian love in Christ's church can be overwhelmingly strong. Compelling actions driven by connection and concern for each other, earnest concern for each other's spiritual well-being, and yes, real Christian love acts with passion, fury, intensity, with a clear eye on the goal to help each other stand strong and confident before Jesus when he comes again. Pray with me for just a moment. Lord in heaven, let it be so. Let it be so among us. Let it be so among us to your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.